Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 512. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have an awesome guests that I'm excited to share with you. Before we jump in, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. If you are getting ready to study for the MCAT and you haven't gone and signed up for a free Blueprint MCAT account yet, what are you waiting for? Their free, amazing, very powerful MCAT study tool will allow you to craft the perfect study schedule for you. It amazes me. I still go on to Reddit and Student Doctor Network every once in a while, Reddit more often, and I see students posting Excel files of their MCAT prep schedules. I'm like, people, don't you know it's 2023? We have technology for that, and Blueprint gives it to you for free over at blueprintmcat.com. Go check it out. All right, our guest today is Laura Jackson, a non-traditional first-year student who immigrated to the U.S. to play soccer in college and is now a medical student. Laura, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Dr. Gray. I'm excited to chat with you. Number one, as I mentioned when we first started talking, I love a good British accent. It makes everything so much smarter. Uh, and so everything you're going to say is just going to be that much, uh, that much more important to listen to. Um, but Obviously, because you have an amazing story to uh, to your medical school journey, and I'm hoping to share that with uh, those who are listening. Yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to to tell my story. So yeah, so let's start with um, you. You obviously uh, spent a a decent amount of time in not our country to have an accent. <laughs> talk talk about your journey to the states uh, and and what that looked like for you. Yeah, um, I've been in the US now for I think 12 or 13 years, so I'm losing the accent, sadly. Um, but I grew up in England. Um, I, I I lived there until I was 18. Um, I moved to the US originally because I, I got a soccer scholarship. So that was mm. the main reason why I came in the first place, get my undergrad degree paid for. Um, but yeah, I spent the first 18 years of life in in London, England. Uh, my mum was a Jamaican immigrant, so um, have a similar background in that sense to uh, 
she was like, you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Um, <laughs> so that was sort of set for me from the very beginning. But so yeah, so it's to... not just Asian parents. It's not just Jewish no. parents. It's it's Jamaican immigrants as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So you came to the States to play soccer. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you had this idea of being a physician. Yeah, I mean it's the same old story as as pretty much anybody else but I wanted to be a doctor since I was pretty much since I can remember um tried looking into law didn't really interest me too much um and so I had this goal of being a doctor and and originally uh going through my A-levels I was going to apply to go to medical school in England um but then when I got the opportunity and started getting recruited to come to the U.S. I decided to put that on hold in the sense that I knew I could get a degree in a science and then go to medical school later. Yeah. Okay. So when when you talked earlier about your mom being interested in you being a doctor, lawyer, engineer, et cetera, mm-hmm. where did your interest start? I think, well, so my my dad's a, a science teacher and then my mom was a professor at a medical school. So medicine and science were sort of just ingrained in in my family from the very beginning yeah. I had a really big interest in science um and you know a lot of the strong role models in my life were in science and so it was just something that I really looked up to and, and appreciated and respected yeah okay so you come to the states you have uh, a mom who teaches in med school a dad who's a scientist so obviously coming to school is easy breezy right and and you you start off well and the the rest is history oh yeah that's the end of my story end of your story <laughs> and then once you skip you get into med school uh exactly. your your first year of college didn't go so well what happened no um the, the u.s system i found pretty quickly is is very different to that of england um i, I remember showing up for my first week of class and didn't look at the syllabus at all. I just assumed that it was, okay, you're going to take your finals at the end of the semester. And that's going to be the only thing that it goes towards your grades. Little did I know that, you know, you had to go to class, you had to turn in homework. Um, <laughs> it, so, did you really in college? That's usually not a thing. Yeah, I did. It, I lost like 20% oh. off the top on one of my classes just because of that. So um, yeah. And so very quickly, I started getting uh, grades back. And um, at the end of that semester, I I think I ended up with like a 2.3 or something like that, just because, yeah, I, I, I wasn't quite prepared and ready to go for, for college in the US. And I, I was pretty much just always, only focused on soccer. Yeah. And so a 2.3, number one for wanting to go to medical school, whether you were um, kind of focused on that at that point or not but for soccer as well I'm, I'm assuming that was stressful to main, maintain your ability to be on the soccer team yeah I'll never forget that conversation with my coaches after the first semester like you need to stay above I think it was a 2.2 so that was close yeah. um you know I had to stay in study hall and everything like that but it definitely added some stress to my life that I hadn't necessarily experienced before that, yeah. that kind of sense of failure. Mm. And, and what did that do in terms of your your motivation to continue on with 
these hard classes for for being a pre-med? I mean, I, I essentially I think I lost I lost um I lost a little bit of motivation, but I think I, I just lost the belief in myself because you know, the first two years of college, for the most part, I was taking classes that had nothing to do with medical school. And yeah. so to to stay motivated to go through an art history class or, you know, a religion class, it was, it was just it was hard for me. And, and it was sort of a hole that first semester was a hole that I found it very, very difficult to dig myself out of, especially for the first two years. Yeah. When when you kind of finished school, that was a while ago. So, so at what point did you make the decision? You know what? I'm not going to go straight to med school. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to go have a career and then maybe at some point, or, or did you just like give up on the med school dream and you're like, I'll do this other thing. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of factors that sort of went into that, that decision. The first one was, you know, I went to my, I ended up transferring after my second year um, and playing soccer elsewhere, but I'll never forget the the pre-med advisor standing in front of the class of the, the future doctor saying, okay, if you don't have a 3.75 GPA, <laughs> you should probably leave this meeting right now. And so, you know, that was like my first, okay, maybe I can't be a physician. Um, but I, I still had enough faith that I, I said to myself, okay, uh, give yourself another chance, go and get a master's degree um, and in in something science. So like I ended up getting my master's degree in, in neuroscience, mm -hmm. but that was sort of my test to myself. Okay. Can I, um, can I get good grades in this higher education graduate degree and then try and go to medical school? It just happened that I got my master's paid for through a coaching scholarship so I was coaching college soccer and I sort of took a detour at like a 10-year detour in college <laughs> coaching yeah. before coming back to, to medicine. Yeah so you have this 10-year detour where you're coaching soccer at a university while mm -hmm. also doing your master's degree with this kind of seeds still in the back of your head of like, I still want to go to medical school. What, what was driving that continued thought of like medical school is still something I want to pursue? I think for a long time, it was unconscious. It was in the back of my mind. Um, through coaching, I ended up getting a master's degree and a PhD. Uh, but the reason for that was because of the immigration system here. So um, I was on a student visa for like five or six years of that 10 year journey. And then when I finally got onto my work visa and then I ended up getting married to my wife, um, this was all right before COVID. It, the opportunity that I could potentially go to medical school as a resident and not have the, the immigration burden on me sort of relit that fire of, um, you know, you have the ability to go to medical school now that now that you don't have this kind of cloud over your head of your immigration status. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 ultimately, it, it was COVID that that sort of gave me the time to think through what I really wanted in life. Yeah. Were you doing any sort of activities to continue the, the words I use water that seed? Were you getting clinical experience interacting with patients or doctors in any way? outside of maybe like the the coach or not the coaching but the the team athletic trainers and stuff 
so um so essentially up until covid i was working you know essentially 49 weeks out of the year because you get a three-week break over christmas and then you know it during the season i was working seven days a week and in the spring i was working five or six days a week traveling every other weekend so i didn't really have the the chance to sort of think about medicine until right before covid um it was march 5th because i actually asked um the person that i called by i called a former alumni and the thought of medicine had just been coming back into my mind and growing and growing and I, that's where i found your podcast and started listening to all of these non-traditional stories and um and uh i called her on march 5th and i said you know i really want to go to medical school give me some advice and she was like okay you need to take the mcat you need to prepare and then a week later covid happened and i was like oh i'm at home 24 yeah. 7 what can i do with my time so i started studying for the mcat and then when the restrictions started to lift a little bit with COVID, this was, you know, nine or 10 months later, mm-hmm. um, I started reaching out to hospitals in the area and ended up going at shadowing. And and uh, there was a physician at the institution that I worked at that came a, a good mentor to me that I would meet with every week and we kind of discuss medicine and what the personality that it takes or like the, the drive that you need and, you know, just just growing that fire within me and the belief that I could do it. Yeah. What, what's motivating you at this point at, at, at that point in time, you're nine months into COVID or whatever. It's kind of the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. What were you finding outside of this kind of motivation from your mom and being around STEM and science and all this stuff growing up? What was it that was driving you? Because it sounds like you had a very successful career as a coach and you could have taken that even further. Yeah. I mean, the biggest motivating factor to me, other than the fact that I really loved medicine and and science was COVID really sort of opened my eyes to the community of people that I was helping. Um, College athletes, especially at the level that I was coaching, can be quite privileged and um, come from backgrounds, you know, that... um, they haven't had too many struggles in life and and COVID sort of opened my eyes to especially minority populations and people of color and just those that really needed healthcare and and the the rate at which they were being affected by COVID and dying. Um, it sort of made me think about the impact that I could have on the world and the impact that I wanted to have on the world. And, and inevitably it was through medicine, but that really just kept me motivated throughout that entire time, especially during that 2020 to 21 year when I was studying and taking the MCAT. Wow. So talk about the the MCAT journey, because that's that's a whole different ball game as well. Is the MCAT similar to any tests that you were taking back in, in England? Oh, no. <laughs> um, the, the, the test to get into medical school in England is very similar to like the LSAT. It's uh, shapes and... Um, you know, verbal reasoning and that kind of thing. So really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the MCAT and <laughs> the, the funny thing was there were certain classes that were on the MCAT that I had done really poorly in, in college. Mm. And so I, I'd started, I had to teach myself um, that material. And as I was going through, I was like, Laura, why did you not study during this time? Like this makes sense now. Why did you not just do this 10 years ago? Um, but 
yeah so I ended up starting I think I, I spent probably six to nine months studying just because um I had a season in between that but um I essentially had to teach myself most of the subjects from scratch because I didn't remember a lot of it and then you know started taking practice tests and um doing question banks and things like that yeah and and you took the MCAT one time mm-hmm. one and done one and done nice all right one and done <laughs> that that's awesome so you uh, apply to medical school as an older non-traditional student where were you finding resources feedback guidance on how to put together your application as a non-traditional student um well i would say that i've pretty much listened to every piece of material that you'd put out um so i think that was a very uh strong um you know educational resource for me just the the pre-med podcast and then um everything on on mapped and um yeah and then read it to some extent but you can only believe certain <laughs> pieces of information on reddit um but yeah that that was basically i would just every day listen to a podcast and um yeah just kind of search the internet didn't mm. oh the other the other thing i will say is and this is um I don't know how common this is, but I actually reached out to my um, like pre-med head of biology department at my undergraduate institution that I'd graduated from like eight years previously. And she ended up guiding me through a lot of it as well. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, when you look at the the journey that you've been on, how much do you think your soccer career, because you were a professional soccer player as well, how, how much do you think your your soccer career helped shape your ability to to ultimately successfully apply and get into medical school? Yeah, I mean, massive. I think, you know, inevitably I ended up, I don't want to say failing as, as a professional soccer player, but um, I ended up getting injured and it essentially like early retired me from playing. Um, and the failure that I sort of felt for a long time within that situation and then the failure that I even felt as a collegiate athlete having to transfer and uh, and we didn't have, there was a couple of seasons where we didn't do that great. I think at 22, I don't necessarily know if I would have been able to take the punches that medical school and the application process and being in medical school is, is sort of giving me now. Um, and so my sort of 10 year journey in coaching and then playing really it, it, I think it really gave me the ability to see, and it's sort of a very, yeah, everybody says it, but it's, I feel like I can learn from failure much better than I ever did before, you know, going through this process. So, Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish people embraced failure more than we do as a society. We, we, yeah. uh, kind of, shame failure and i'm like no like failure is awesome you get to learn so much from it and as as parents we we shield our kids from failure way too much i think i was gonna say it's hard to you know especially college age and that's why i applaud so many of my classmates that are 22 and our first years in medical school like i don't know how they did it because when i was at 22 if somebody said you're wrong or you failed I would have broken down, shut down, which is essentially why I ended up down this negative spiral of grades and things like that. Um, 
but now at 31 I feel yeah every time I fail I'm like oh this is great you know it's it's fine I can just move on and I can improve and I can get better yeah do you find that you play a specific role in your med school class because of your non-traditional status as as uh, an o- older medical student as a former coach a former professional athlete do you do you play a, a role amongst your classmates Yes. I mean, some of them call me coach, which is hilarious because <laughs> um, we have a soccer team and I they make me coach it. But um, yeah, we have a lot of small group activities and um, things like that. And I feel like I try and be, you know, I want to say a leader, but I think one thing things I've learned through my journey is just like incorporating everybody into that sort of experience and not just standing out front like I'm the leader everybody listen to me but sort of bringing in everybody's ideas um especially when we're in a two-hour class and we're we're sort of off topic for 20 minutes and it's like okay everyone let's steer our way back into um onto task but yeah and I I think that I don't necessarily know if they look at me as more mature um but because I mean I've been hanging around with 20 18 to 22 year olds for the last 10 years um as a college soccer coach but um yeah I definitely feel like they see me a bit differently than the other 22 to 24 year olds that are M1s yeah what do you think has been the hardest part of the whether it's the application process uh or the the transition to medical school for you the application process was really hard um I personally had decided to keep it a secret um there were only a few people in my life, my wife being one of them, and then some close family friends that knew over those, essentially the two-year process of getting into medical school, that I was doing it. And so it was, it was, you know, I had to wake up very early some days, you know, before meetings or before having to go in sort of in the COVID time where you could be in inside but in, be masked. And so waking up early to study for the MCAT, or writing my personal statement, um, finding people to like essentially write my letters of recommendation and be mentors for me that I could trust not to tell anybody. Um, and then, you know, I love coaching and I love soccer, and, and it, but it was definitely difficult to focus solely on that job when there was something, there was this massive goal and journey that I had sort of behind the scenes that I was striving towards. And, you know, I take a practice test and get a bad grade and fail and, and show up in the office the next day and have to just be the same person because nobody really knew what was going on. Why keep it a secret? Um, I think there was that aspect potentially of failing, um, you know, telling people that I wanted to go to medical school. I think as the journey went on, I did tell a few people and um, because I wasn't far enough in the journey, there were like the naysayers of, you know, you're 30. Why would you, why would you start a <laughs> career from the beginning all over again? Um, and then I, I had a fear that I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't get in. And then if I told my employers, they would move on and, and say, okay, well, if you're not, um, committed to coaching, then you know, we're going to find somebody who is. And so I just, that was a personal decision. I think it was, I, I do think it was the right decision. And it's easy for me to say that because it's, it turned out well, but 
yeah yeah it's hard yeah it was hard it was hard you uh, i think looking at your notes you applied early decision to the school that you're going to is that correct yes that's correct um, I love talking about early decision and the, the <laughs> risks and benefits. And for the majority of people, I say it's it's too much of a risk. Don't do it. Yeah. What was the thought process for you to apply early decision? So my wife, so I, it's funny because when I was coaching and making money, um, she was in law school. Okay. And so I was sort of supporting her through that. And then she got her first job offer right after I had taken the MCAT and wasn't, um, you know, had, hadn't applied yet. It was like March of 2021. And when it comes to law, you know, you have certain states that you can work in based on your bar results. Yep. And my wife ended up getting a, she took the multi-state bar, which means that you can work in multiple states, but because this was her first job and it was in the state that we live in, um, I was like, okay, this is the state school. I have a have a large connection to this state school. Um, I will apply and, you know, potentially maybe it will be a benefit to me if I apply early. Maybe they'll think that I really want to go there. Um, and then if I don't get in after she's worked for a year, then we'd open up our kind of net to different cities, different states that, that she could work in um, and make that decision as a family. But we thought, you know, if I got into the one school that I was applying to, it would work out perfectly. We already lived there. Um, and you know, we wouldn't have to change our lives too much in that sense. Yeah. Did you get any feedback or were you aware that early decision potentially is a risk? I had heard it many times on the podcast. Um, (laughs) and (laughs) I had my, my pre-med advisor, um, had sort of mentioned that to me too. Yeah. And, you know, I know you've talked about this so many times with other people, but the cost, because the cost with early decision was so much less, yeah. it was just one school I was applying to and the certain school didn't even charge for secondaries. I was like, okay, if it doesn't work out, I've only lost like $200 on the grand scale of scheme of things. And then, yeah. you know, if hopefully they'll give me feedback and then I can strengthen my application if I need to. Um, Cause the other thing too, was I didn't, I didn't retake any of my classes from undergrad. Um, I was sort of leaning on the on the hope that they would look at my grad graduate level work, which wasn't in any way like a postback. There was no like retaking of classes or anything like that. So I sort of said, okay, if I don't get in, then I'll, you know, sign up and do some junior college or like community college classes and try and strengthen my application and see what happens. Yeah. Did you reach out to them before applying and and give them any of this information? Be like, hey, are you going to like me? (laughs) Oh, I tried everything. I mean, I was on all of their Zoom calls, like their open houses. Um, I remember during COVID around, well, around that March, like April, May time of 2020, when I had just made the decision, like, I'm going to start studying for the MCAT, I'm going to put all of my time into this, I got on the phone with one of their, um, one of their admissions counselors, and they kind of gave me some really good information about, you know, it's a very heavy in-state school, if you um, have, you know, 
it, it was like if you had over a 3.0 GPA and over a 500 MCAT, then you basically get an, an interview mm. as an in-state applicant. Um, that doesn't mean you'll get in. I mean, the yeah. average of the class ended up being way higher than that. But um, yeah, I felt confident, at least that I had an interesting story, the ups and downs of my story. Um, and then, you know, my background playing soccer and coaching soccer and so I felt like, okay, get me an interview and then I'll try and work my magic there. <laughs> work the magic. And what was that interview like? <laughs> did did they really want to just talk about your football journey, your soccer journey? <laughs> um, so we had two, it was actually really short. It had two 30-minute interviews. Yeah. And the first interview was great because he had my application. It was like an open, you knew that it was like an open book application. And so he was just, you know, kind of, talking to me about my journey I I honestly didn't speak that much the only things that he was really concerned about was okay have you learned your lessons from graduating just over a 3.0 um in your undergrad with your master's and your doctorate work and then like why medicine mm -hmm. so that the first interview went well in that sense that I knew he knew everything about me like I sort of put it all out there on my application um I didn't hide anything um and about great obviously you can't hide anything about grades but about you know my life and then the second interview was with physicians that didn't know anything about me and so they kind of when they heard about the soccer journey and the coaching journey that that's kind of what they focused on so yeah yeah what was it like getting that acceptance email or phone call oh it was like, I didn't even know how to react that, the, of course, I feel like all medical schools do this. They emailed us all the, the early admission people and they said, we're going to let you know the decision by this date. And then that date came and went, oh, and no. like, oh, <laughs> did, did I not get in? Um, and then we got another email like a few days later. Oh, Hey, sorry. Uh, we're a little bit behind. And so, okay. My, 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 um, was Couldn't they let you know on the day that they were supposed to email you? Say, hey, sorry, I, I know you're expecting know. an email from us today, but we're it's going to be a little bit longer. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I. Oh, luckily it was in the fall season. It was like September or October, and so we had recruits every weekend. Uh, we had games. We were traveling, and so I just tried to focus on those things. Um, but I just I remember getting the email. And I, I had like a crazy person. I had set up this one email. I had made a new email for my application process and I had the emails like text me yep. when they came in. Smart. And so, yeah. So I was just like glued to my phone. And um, when I got the email, I just, like, I couldn't even believe it. Like, I, I just, the journey that I had felt like I'd gone on and just ha having to give up on medicine and then come back to medicine and sort of take this risk of, okay, you're going to try going back to medicine, but you might fail. And then if you fail, you're not going to be good enough to, to be a doctor. And yeah, I just remember, I, I didn't even have any emotions, to be honest. Like I showed my wife the email that night. Like I honestly, I waited like a few hours to even tell her. I was like, <laughs> oh, by the way, here's the email. And she had this like massive reaction action and excitement and then I kind of let the emotions go like I'm gonna be a, oh, I'm gonna at least attempt to try and be a doctor <laughs> yeah that's that's amazing so I I want to 
number one, two questions. First question, uh, what did you tell your your fellow coaching staff? Like, hey, by the way, see ya. Like, what what was that conversation like? And what was their response like? It was really hard. Um, you know, the the staff that I worked on, I'd become very close with, and through COVID, I mean, like most people. COVID was really hard, not just for us, but, you know, student athletes, that population of college aged and high school aged people that were just stuck at home had a really hard time. So there was a lot of backlash that we had to deal with from that. And then, um, you know, all the social change that was occurring that was very prominent in the university, like us as a staff, we got really close through that whole process. And, um, and so I, I remember I called a meeting with my boss and he was like, did you get another job? Because <laughs> uh, it was around that time where I was starting to get calls for like head coaching positions. And uh-huh. I just, I like, cried through the whole meeting. <laughs> I was like, you know, I love coaching. I love this stuff, but I just feel like there's more for me in this different field. It's something I've wanted to do forever. Um, my grandfather had passed away in that same year and it just sort of reminded me of what he sacrificed for his family to bring them to a new country. Um, and you know, that was another big driver for me. And, um, yeah, I mean, he was happy for me. And then I told the rest of the staff and they were angry. They were like, why are you leaving? Um, <laughs> you must suffer th- with the rest th- of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they, they're happy for me and I, I still live in the area. So I go to all the games and, um, yeah, they can't get rid of me now. They yeah. actually want to. That's awesome. The 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 future for you, I, I mean, it would be very easy to go, oh, you, you should be interested in like family medicine, sports medicine, or PMNR sports medicine, or ortho sports medicine. Do you have any thoughts on on what your future career holds? It's, it's interesting because I didn't think this was going to be me, but I went into medical school like I'm going to be a surgeon. You know, there was there was really no wavering. And then when you finally get into medical school and you start doing the clinical experiences, like whether it's in the clinics or the, you know, the the simulated patients, I'm like, oh, I love being in the clinic and and I love just interacting with patients on, and d- interacting with people on this different level that I ever did as a coach. Um, but I would say that probably orthopedic surgery cliche is up there. Yeah. Um, and then... I have a pretty big interest in ENT for just random reasons. I just find that really interesting. So those are like the two front runners right now, but there's something about knowing a lot about everything. And so internal medicine and the pathways you can go off of that is sound. It's also intriguing. I mean, I'm just going to say I'm interested in everything. Interested in everything. That's the right answer. Um, So, so going back to the, the other question that I wanted to ask, you were talking about, keeping things a secret and what if you didn't get in and what would that failure look like? What would have happened if you didn't get in? Uh, Would you consider that a failure? Would you have reapplied? Would you have given up on, on going to medical school? I think that I had in my mind built in at least, at least one more application cycle. Um, just with this being something that I felt so passionately about, um, sort of took over all of my free time, just thinking about medicine and 
and studying as hard as I possibly could for the MCAT, those kind of things. I knew that, okay, if I didn't get in, as long as, long as I applied and if I didn't get in, they said, you're the worst applicant we've ever had. <laughs> um, <laughs> then I think I would have, you know, gone gone with plan B and tried to um, apply to, to different medical schools outside of the state um, or even go like, so I'm at an MD medical school and I have absolutely nothing against going DO either. Um, the MD school in my state was just, cheaper than any other option yeah so that was also going to be what would have been part of the plan because there's also a do school in the same city mm-hmm. um but i don't know i mean i hope i honestly hope that i would have kept at it because now that i'm out of coaching you know i still love soccer don't worry i'll be glued to the tv when the world cup's on <laughs> um but i just feel so I feel like I've did the right thing. I, I truly feel like this is the right journey for me. Um, even though I'll be 40 when I get out of residency, I just, this is everything that I've wanted and everything I've dreamed of, even learning about nematodes. I'm just <laughs> excited about the fact that I can tell somebody about parasites, you know? Um, so I I hope I would have um I mean, knowing me, I would have, I would have applied again and I would have improved my application. And cause I just feel like this is the best decision that I pretty much made in my life. What do you, what, what kind of final words of wisdom do you have for someone listening to this who, who may be a non-traditional student who may be trying to overcome their 2.3 first semester GPA uh, and, and worried about their abilities to get into med school? I think my piece of advice is I I don't even want to say second chance. There's always more chances. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the past, the past doesn't have to define you, but it can certainly improve you and give you a story. Um, For me, going from that 2.3 GPA, um, going from graduating with like a 3.1 GPA out of undergrad like, yes, I, I was lucky that I I had the ability to to get my graduate school paid for. Um, and I know that not everybody has that. But the fact that I showed that sort of want and fire to to continue along my, this path of medicine and then just like do all the things that needed to be done that you always talk about in your podcast. Like I, I showed that I was dedicated to get my clinical experience and my shadowing and um, you know, w- work in the community, uh, especially through like COVID and things like that. So don't think that one thing defines you. And and for me, there was a lot of poor things that I felt defined me if I would have applied at 22. Mm. Um, being 31, I feel physically like young. I feel like mentally young. And there's so many people that think 30 is old. And I'm just telling you, like <laughs> 30 is when life... 30 is when life begins. I'm sure when I turn 40, 40 is going to be when life begins. 40, there's nothing wrong with 40. Come on, don't give me that. It's it's funny. Like if, if I could, because I hang out with college kids all the time when I'm traveling and I, I go to meetups or I speak on campus. Like I literally feel like I could be back on campus tomorrow and be like, oh, this is normal. Like I, oh, yeah. I, I feel young. And I, I think when I was younger, I didn't realize that your your body is older, but your your yeah. insides, your mentality, if you want it to be, can be just just as young as it always has been. 
yeah, there was this amazing meme on Reddit that was like, uh, as a 30 year old, I want to apologize to anybody that I said was old when I was 18, that like said, <laughs> said they were old when they were 30. <laughs> um, because yeah, I, I sit in class with my, my small group. So there's, there's seven of us in our small group. And I think the next oldest person's 26, everybody else is like 22, 23, 24. And I literally feel like I'm their age, but it's sort of crazy to me to think that I've had 10 years more of life and traveling and kudos to them because I did a lot of traveling in my twenties and experiencing life and they're in medical school. So um, they're giving up their twenties to have a fun thirties. I'm giving up my thirties to have a fun forties and beyond. Yeah. Um, but I don't feel out of place in any way. It's, it's sort of a weird, my wife's like, you know, you're hanging out with 22 year olds. I'm like, they're, they, they're just like us. <laughs> they're just like us, exactly. They're just people living their lives, and that's all it is. Yep. Yep. Awesome. There you have it again, Laura Jackson, first-year medical student, immigrant to this country, athlete, non-traditional student. Uh, yeah, awesome story. I hope this allowed you to see that you just you never give up on your dream. If this is what you want to do, you can go live a life if you want to do two things. And and Laura was a professional soccer player and a coach and and just lived her dream and then realized that she had another dream and is living that dream now as well. I hope this was helpful. Don't forget to go check out blueprintmcat.com for those free, amazing MCAT resources. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com. We'll see you next time here on the pre-med years. This is MedEd Media.